The last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. Welcome to the first new episode of Functional Banking Magic for 2023. Welcome back, everyone. As always, I'm Liz Lumley of The Banker, and today we are talking about bank partnerships and the ESG journey. One of our favorite topics here at Functional Banking Magic is to look at the relationship and partnerships between uh, a bank uh, and a tech company. Uh, So HSBC has partnered with fintech company Diginex to provide their commercial banking customers in various markets with a sustainability reporting tool, allowing businesses to plan and report their ESG performance online and manage their performance against ESG indicators and globally recognized frameworks. So we're going to have a great discussion today. Um, So I'm sitting down with Natalie Blythe, Global Head of Commercial Banking Sustainability at HSBC, and Mark Blick, CEO of Diginex. Hello, both of you. Hi there, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hello. Thank you for hosting. So yes, yeah, so we have uh, myself and Natalie here in the UK, and Mark. I know that you're coming in, coming to us from Hong Kong. So thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. My pleasure. Wonderful. So first of all, I I, I always want to get get a get a sense of you know what what the system does. So I was wondering, Nat- Natalie, if you could start, you know, briefly describe what what does this tool do, and and why is it needed. Yeah, I think it's a great question to start with. So I'll take it slightly reverse. So why is it needed? Um, So you will know that net zero is right at the heart of HSBC's strategy. Uh, We have committed to get to net zero through our client base, that's those financed emissions, um, by 2050 or sooner. And so quite frankly, we cannot get to net zero. The world will not get get to net zero unless our clients get to net zero. Mm. And you can't prove you get there unless you can measure it. So really, that trusted, independent, verifiable ESG disclosure and reporting is a business imperative. And that's both from the growth side, but also from, from the sort of defense agenda. So, and the pressures to, to do this measuring and reporting and disclosing are increasing exponentially at the moment. They're coming from regulators, policy, investors, even the employees and consumers. And that's where Diginex comes in. It's a a really simple solution to quite a complex pain point and problem in our client base. So it's an online platform for that ESG reporting and disclosures. And it helps our clients get ahead of that regulatory requirement and indeed some of those supply chain shocks um, where they wake up in the morning to find, oh my gosh, I can't report on my ESG and carbon footprint and therefore my buyer or their buyer's buyer that said I'm out of the, um, the supplier system. So it's a simple tool. It solves a, an immediate time pain point and problem need. Um, and I'm happy to bring Mark in to describe what else that it can do. We looked at the market um, and you think up until 2017, ESG and climate reporting was something that was mainly focused on a small group of large caps. Those companies that had big in-house teams of sustainability consultants and able to dedicate resources necessary to address this issue. And from 2017 onwards, and particularly into this decade, we really saw an exponential shift 
where that pressure around ESG and disclosure requirements started to roll downhill very quickly to include companies of all sizes. And as Natalie has mentioned, this, this pressure came from multiple different sources, from regulators, investors, from stakeholders and consumers. And as these companies were taking their very first tentative steps within the world of ESG reporting, they, they, I call it the grumpy CFO demographic who have probably been running his or her company for the last 20 years trying to work out how to do this taking their first steps into trying to look for solutions that would empower them to meet these new requirements that they were learning about, and generally finding that the market had a lot of solutions available that were designed for the large caps, because up until around 2017, 2018, those are the people who were really focused on this. Um, and we came into this, one of our own experience of watching small cap listed companies in the UK in particular, um, who were using a system that's probably fairly analogous to companies worldwide of an Excel spreadsheet with 20 different tabs sent around 40 different people over a six month process that was ungovernable, unauditable. And at the end of the day, they still had to send it to a high price consultant externally to help tidy them up. We really wanted to address that market and belief that with SMEs really accounting for, call it 50% of, of GDP in a country between 45 to 50% of 55% uh, of GDP in a country, that we were only going to have impact at scale if we also started including those companies who weren't able to dedicate huge resources internally to this topic, um, who didn't have large budgets to spend with consultants, and who wanted to drive this process by themselves. It was also important for us that um, that these companies were able to start small and that we don't scare them at the outset by saying, here's a hundred things you need to report on, but rather guiding them through a journey and building over time and helping them do first the things that they're comfortable with. And then over time, adding in more complex topics. And what we'll come to it, I think a little bit more in a second, in terms of how we use technology to guide them through this process and allow them to take much more ownership of that ESG reporting themselves internally. Mm. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I agree. We'll, we'll we'll get to some of the the technology in a second, but you know, uh, both of you talked about the the multiple players in this in this uh, ecosystem that kind of drives uh, the need for ESG compliance, and and then you, Mark, you talked about the smaller companies and not scaring them with you know, a thousand things they need to comply with. I mean, what are the, maybe I'll go back to, to Natalie for this. How are the needs of these smaller, smaller corporates different from the large multinational corporates um, that have been dealing with this for a while? Roughly, we've got three types of clients. Um, we've got the, the most activated clients, quite sophisticated ones who they've already probably got their transition plans. They've got access to data and knowledge. They expect the bank to provide them with sort of bespoke solutions and understand their unique transition challenges. That's one group. And they're probably more, more fairly sort of set. There are two other groups. There's one where the client really is sort of um, activated. They really want to know what it is that we need. Um, they really want to know that we're going to be with them on this transition journey. And they want to know how it is that we can sort of help them. And then there's a a third group where really they have very little resource data and knowledge, so they're, they're not so activated. Those bottom two are really vulnerable to both policy and indeed supply chain shocks. So that's where the, the needs differ. And Mark's already pointed to, we do have sophisticated clients who've got teams of tens, even up to 100 people focusing on this ESG reporting and data, mm. but there are millions of clients that don't have that and they need to start somewhere because the, the regulation is coming pretty hard and fast with, um, in particular, Europe and the US already pushing it down actually to the smaller um, clients requiring them to dis disclose. 
We've got in the Middle East, um, the UAE have launched a net zero by 2050 strategic initiative, um, which really means that they're going to require businesses to set zero, net zero targets and strategies, and that includes SMEs. So, and we've got Hong Kong and Singapore, well, sort of Asia really, more focused on the sort of supply chain shocks, but the policies coming through as well with those regulators catching up. So it's no longer just the large sophisticated corporates that are touched by this. Mm -hmm. um, it's the smaller ones as well, and they are exposed. So we need to work with partners to find solutions um, to solve these pain points. Now, I wanted to maybe get a little bit more on the technology, you know, and, and how this how this service is kind of delivered to, to clients. So, Mark, Mark, I'll go to you. And I know we're, we'll, we'll get to blockchain in a moment, but 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 start me off. How does the how did how does the technology work? How does it support this service? I think first and foremost, by making the process simple and affordable. And I think that's the fruit of everything that we try to do. And those two lenses are certainly everything through which we evaluate the product. ESG still means very different things to different people. And, and key for us is to deliver, to deliver a product that demystifies what companies actually have to do. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the raw charge test, the, the psychological evaluation that looks at a person's interpretations of ink blots. And I think ESG is, is quite similar. ESG will mean something very different to that grumpy CFO of a $100 million a year industrials company than it will to the head of sustainability who may have spent a long time in NGOs in the public sector and to investors and to regulators and banks and so on and so forth. Our mission is really to empower companies to feel confident in engaging in the ESG reporting journey. And I think sometimes it can be a tendency to lay the weight of solving climate change on the shoulders of companies. Mm. And the scale of that can be overwhelming. Mm. And we found it more effective to simplify the process to demonstrate that a well-run company, which many companies are, most companies are, often has the data that they've been now asked to report on. They just may classify it in a different way. Companies will have access to electricity consumption statements, to water bills. The HR department will have diversity data. I met with an industry association for small and mid-caps last week, and they joked that for their members, ESG stands for earnings, survival, and growth. <laughs> and whilst, whilst it was said in jest, I think there's some truth to that. Mm. And our tool breaks ESG reporting down for companies and, and guides them through the reporting journey step by step and from end to end. From the first step of, holy heck, what is ESG? I've got this board member or investor or a stock exchange or a regulator that's asking me to do this all the way through to producing a report aligned to a major global framework that they can feel proud to show to their investors, board members, regulators, and stakeholders. And if we look at things like benchmarking, it's often important. And at an SME, although at an SME level, I think it can be misleading. Um, given companies are very still, they're still very new to ESG reporting and climate disclosures, and they can be a little bit nervous of how will I look against others? And existing data is not sufficiently deep often to be meaningful enough. So if we onboard a small cap Canadian wood chip company, we don't necessarily have a deep pool of many other small cap Canadian wood chip companies to compare against. I think for us, the most important metric has always been to, to track transparent progress. Where am I today and where do I want to be tomorrow? And how do I look at my transition from brownfield to greenfield and measure that process over the time? Mm. Preferably helped by a partner like HSBC who can, who can help them through that process. So what so what does blockchain um, do do for the service? Why, why do you need it? It's a critical part of the audit process. Our, mm -hmm. our platform is designed to remove the need for external consultative intervention. That's mm -hmm. a, that's a critical part of it. So okay. if I am a grumpy CFO, I can drive this process with my head of legal, my head of HR, um, and if I wish to involve external consultants, that's absolutely fine. You can do too. 
But with any self-reported data, if I were to send this to you and say, here is my report, you may say, well, this looks great. And it looks, it looks fancy and professional and well put together. But how do I know this wasn't put together by Bob, the intern, in the six hours before you sent it to me? <laughs> Um, and, Poor Bob. and when companies self-report, <laughs> when companies self-report, there will be obvious questions around data authenticity. So along with several other features we have embedded in the platform, like multi-party verification, um, dev, uh, document uploads, um, uh, target setting, and so on and so forth, our blockchain audit trail allows companies to share the complete the complete provenance of each data point, and that then increases the overall robustness of the disclosure. This is an optional feature on our product, and we see the majority of companies will actually choose to enable it. And I think what I've observed is companies are beginning to, to understand that possessing higher quality data, the conversation starts to shift from ESG being a report, reporting burden, moving from, oh no, here's yet another thing I have to do, to now beginning to understand, well, I have an asset of two years worth of greenhouse gas emissions that I can use to leverage access to cheaper sources of capital or get new investors or use it as my pre-IPO process. And the more robustness and discipline I can lend to my data, the greater the strength that asset has. Um, and our blockchain audit trail, um, and it helps provide that greater integrity and trust and transparency in the data that's being provided to external stakeholders. Interesting, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I wanna, I, I wanna, to go back to that, Natalie, now I'd love to know how, you know, like how this is offered to the bank's customers. Is it, is it a value-added service or is it, how is it, you know, offered to them? First of all, what we've got to do is really equip our bankers with the, the knowledge and understanding of ESG and the sort of the various solutions that we, we have out there for them. Um, and then what we need to do is we expect the clients, to, the, the, the RMs to then sort of lean into the conversation with the clients and understand what their sort of reporting requirements are. Are they finding it difficult to know where to start and which frameworks to report on? Are they looking to sort of um, complete their ESG journey reporting in one place? So in other words, really get a good sense of what the client's requirements are. Um, and then what we do is introduce them to Diginex solutions. And, and that is quite simply, it's sort of via diginex.com forward slash HSBC. Um, and then they can sort of go in and as Mark has already described, you can start off with sort of small, simple bits, and then you can sort of, um, it's a bit gamified or in a way, but you can upgrade to more sophisticated requirements as well. So mm -hmm. it can solve some of the, the sort of the really quick, simple problems, but it can get more sophisticated as well. Excellent. So when we started our conversation, I mentioned that this one of our favorite topics is that relationship between uh, a fintech company and, and a large bank. And, you know, you, you don't get a much larger bank than HSBC. So, Natalie, I wanted to stay with you. I wanted to get a little bit more insight about how the partnership with the bank and and, uh, and Mark happened. You know, what what was the bank looking for? What were some of the requirements in those discussions in the early days before this was finalized? I mean, it's a great story, actually, because it really brings our strategy to life um, and really shows how we can leverage HSBC's network as we go through this sort of massive revolution to um, as we all race to transition to sort of net zero. Mm. I mean, the original introduction to Mark came through, quite frankly, the Hong Kong coverage team who could join the dots, understand what Mark and Diginex platform had to offer see that it was really well aligned to our strategy. And from there, um, Diginex is a client 
Um, we then tested it with a few strategic clients in key markets to basically make sure and validate that it really did meet a client's need, because that's key. There are a lot of offerings out there. And then we're now at the stage where we can sort of scale it up um, and we're sort of pushing it into other geographies. So it's live now in UAE and Hong Kong, obviously, but there are more com countries to come as well. Um, and then it's sort of really leveraging that network that we have um, and putting the clients first and seeing that these have got sort of solutions that we can that can prevail. There's a lot of um, hope because it's probably it's probably one of the biggest topics uh, people talk talk to me about. How does how does this fintech company have this relationship with this bank and how that and it's kind of this very interesting uh, ongoing journey um, that gets talked about a lot in the in the world. It is because, you know, we've got three three levers to our strategy, really. One is to transition all our existing 1.3 or 4 million clients. The second one is to look at it in a sort of an ecosystem, end-to-end -end supply chains, given who we are tr in trade. And then the third one is really to um, be the bank of choice for the new economy. There are two bookends to that. One is the infrastructure that's required. But the second one is companies exactly like Marx and Diginex. Uh, to make sure that we can sort of help them scale up. Mm. But they're the ones providing the solutions for our existing 1.3 or 4 million clients to actually transition into the new low carbon economy of the future. Mm. So it's a, it's a virtuous circle in that sort of leveraging our colleagues, our foot, geographic footprint, the balance sheet and the client network. And actually when you talk about supply chains, it's mm. the client clients network so it is, it's huge it's exponential we're all connected <laughs> but is that <laughs> is that is that kind of that journey that you see that the industry is moving towards that you know that that really kind of uh, role banks have in uh helping new fintech startups you know not just financing but scale and growth and you know like getting more and more part the, these partnerships will be the rule instead of the exception is what i'm trying to get to do you think that's the the road that we're we're heading towards Liz, I think you're absolutely spot on. Uh, I think a bank on its own can get about a third of the way um, and therefore partnerships and developing the new technologies to solve the solutions for um, across ESG transition is going to be imperative. If you think about what banks actually do, everybody knows they finance, but they do two other critical things as well. Um, and that's across existing products, but I think it's going to really double down these three sort of things that banks do. So it's finance, but they also facilitate and advise. Mm. And we know from some of our research that the banks are actually the first port of call that the clients want as their partner to transition. And then the, the third area is we absorb and mitigate risk. And there's going to be a whole load of transition risk and physical risk coming through in this transition and banks have a, a phenomenal role to sort of play there. We do it today um, in different sort of shapes and sizes, but what we've got to do is to take those three and apply it to this, um, quite frankly, single biggest growth opportunity that any of us are going to face in our lifetimes. Mm. Yeah, I wanted, so my final question for, for both of you and Natalie, I'll stay with you and then, then I'll, I'll go to you, Mark, is really the, the, potential for the growth of this market you know you you sometimes see a few people disparaging like looking at ESG and sustainability issues as it's kind of trendy right at the moment it's the flavor of the month but in reality you know how much potential does this sector have for growth so Natalie I'll, I'll start with you it is just huge 
I'm really serious. We are in the midst of a, a huge sustainability sort of revolution. The pace and change of it and the scale of it and the depth of it is going to be faster than any of we've seen. It's not just supply chains that are going to change, it's whole business models that are going to be reconfigured as well. Um, and the, the startups are going to be fundamental enablers and, and there'll be a multiplier effect as a result of that. Companies like Diginec, like, like Mark. So, so the banks have got a critical role to play there in terms of sort of facilitating it. Um, so, you know, in short, absolutely enormous. So, so Mark, Mark, what do you, how big a growth market do you think this is? <laughs> Lend us with a final word. <laughs> I couldn't improve much more than on the word enormous. Um, and I think Natalie and the folks at HSBC will, will agree wholeheartedly with the adage that a, a well-governed company is one of the prime indicators for a well-run company. Mm -hmm. And wh whether we call it ESG or just looking at risk indicators in a company and understanding that however we wish to label it, for the most part, people want to make sure that workers in supply chains are working in safe conditions. They want to make sure that chemicals are not being poured down the sinks and factories and want to make sure that accounting is done well and there's governance standards in place. And the more that we can bring that transparency to companies um, at all ends of the scale, um, the more that they can improve and then get access to other parts of the the sustainable finance ecosystem that will allow them to grow and that's critical and for us as a, as a technology company um, as we're looking to partner with these companies and helping them demonstrate and for the most part my experience has been companies are generally well governed they really want to improve they really want to demonstrate to external stakeholders the efforts they are making um, and we want to provide them the tools and the platform to allow them to do that um, as they start having to meet more and more stringent ESG or sustainability or risk indicators and disclosure requirements. As a technology company, we've always felt very strongly that even if we thought sustainability consultants are the answer, there simply isn't sufficient supply of them to meet the demand that's being generated by small and mid-cap companies who are starting to report on ESG and climate for the very first time. And this demand from that from that group will, will only exponentially increase over the coming years. And we're really here to help them with that um, as they start to understand how to think about some of these topics, which will be very familiar to them as we covered before around water utility or mm. electricity consumption or diversity. And some will be brand new and quite complex, like scope three emissions is a difficult subject. But we want to be here to help those companies interact with their broader group of stakeholders and, and to report data to those people who can then leverage that data uh, and make best use of it. And Liz, I can sort of build on what Mark was saying with Go some numbers it. as well. Um, I think it's sort of well known that the climate tech um, venture capital investment has been pretty much doubling annually for the last decade. Mm. Um, and it's now up to 20% of all VC funding. Uh, we're frequently seeing startups in this space going from what we call garage to unicorn within four years. Um, wow. That is much faster <laughs> than anything else. And then from a bank, perspective you've got to understand that a company that is growing like that has got very different needs to um, a traditional sort of small startup and therefore we have to adapt um, and and come together so we're, we're doing earlier financing in earlier stage financing in, in, in HSBC we're doing sort of venture debt and, and so on and then on the infrastructure side the numbers are just enormous. So it ramps up in the next couple of years to a demand of five trillion a year um, of sort of capex investment um, that's required between now and 2030. That's huge. Hmm. Um, so yeah, 
it's it's an enormous opportunity and the banks have got to play their role but it's not just banks um we've got to understand and i and you were talking about blockchain earlier actually but we've got to understand that um banks can't do this on their own either so as well as needing the sort of the the startup and the fintech and, and the sustainability tech um support we also need blended financing support as well so a lot of the infrastructure to really scale up the transition requires multilateral development banks but we've got and it's a lot of this new technology is the risk so blockchain can come in and play a role as we slice and dice the different risk um, of the different new technologies coming through for example sort of hydrogen um, and others and also the tenor because some of these projects are very long as well so again blockchain has got a role to play there the underlying technology of blockchain is just so dreamy it's got so many different um, applications mm. i think we're just seeing the, the start of it to be honest with you it takes a banking village <laughs> it's wonderful <laughs> natalie and mark thank you so much for talking uh with me i know that uh that we at the bank are going to talk uh, we're going to be talking about esg issues for uh, a very long time to come but thank you so much for joining me on functional banking magic Thank you very much, Liz. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of The Banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you'd like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com.